Hello, Pastor Kevin Davis here, Woodland Friends Church. Today at church, we're keeping the kids in, doing a kids lesson. So for the online crowd, I will be posting one from the sermon vault. For the kids, we'll be going through John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. And so I thought it would be appropriate to release from the vault a sermon I did on November 29th, 2015. And it is on John chapter 15, I believe, verses 14 through 20. It was the last part of a three-part series. I didn't record the other two, or at least I don't have it anymore. So, anyways, thanks for tuning in, guys. I'll catch you next week, hopefully, with a brand new sermon. Well, I've been preaching on the last two times that we were in John chapter 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles there, I'll get my Bible too. I had tossed around just starting a different series, but I really felt strongly that I needed to do one more sermon in John chapter 15, and I think it's very timely because I really felt like that in these last few verses I'm looking at, Jesus is talking about who he is truly, and I think we have a tendency as we approach the Advent season to get a perhaps incorrect view or maybe a very cultural view of Jesus into our brains with the different images and pictures we see. Um, and I hope to change your view, because sometimes we think that baby Jesus might just be this cute, chubby white baby <laughs> on the lap of a 30-something white, very clean, elegantly dressed angel named Mary. And when chubby baby Jesus isn't on the lap of angel Mary, sometimes he's this nicely clean, well-trimmed man who constantly has baby lambs on his shoulders and just can't look at people in the face. Either he's always looking upwards into heaven or looking down at the ground with a halo around his head. And he, to me, he just doesn't demand too much of people, and I don't think he would ever call people to an extreme life of obedience. I don't know. But let's see what Jesus has to say about himself. So again, in John chapter 15, please stand as we read the Lord's Word. We'll start in verse 14. John chapter 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Let's pray. Father, I feel that you invite us into this passage to show us who you are through Jesus. 
Father, if there's anything I want most in my life is I want a genuine relationship with the true Jesus, not any Jesus that anybody would offer me except for what your word says about you. So, Lord, if any of us come today with our own views of who your son Jesus is, and if you wish to, to change our minds a little bit, I pray that if the truth conflicts with our beliefs, we would change our beliefs to match up with the truth. Father, I just pray that also you would show us practically what this looks like. We just want to hear from you, so I just pray you'd get me out of the way and say what you would wish, whatever that might be. We ask these things humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, in whom we love and love to serve. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What has Jesus commanded in your life lately? What area in your life, if you're honest, maybe is a little lacking? Are you giving yourself a little freedom to run around and sin, if you're honest? Maybe there's a TV show you should have stopped watching a long time ago. Maybe, if you're like me, a diet that's gotten a little out of hand. It's really great this time of the year. Maybe there's a heart attitude that is just rebelling against what God would say and want in your life. What has Jesus said to you that if you're honest, you might hear him, but you're not listening? You might hear him, but you're not listening. Uh, This starts off really bluntly. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Oh, Jesus, there is grace and things like, well, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, what about the fact, Jesus, that we're all sinners and you saved me from my sins, so uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, Jesus, you know, other Christians might just shrug off a few sins, scoop them under the rug. Ah, but the Quaker church takes its denominational name from this very passage, very plainly and unapologetically, and I love it. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think this is a phrase that merits a, hmm, what does that mean? (laughs) It seems very cut and dry and plain as to what it means. But what I will say is that I wonder if some of us have a tendency to be so put off by this word command, if, though it is very important, but we let this word become a trigger in our brain so we overlook the very important friend part. The friend part. Because Jesus is about to elaborate not on his commands, but on what it means to be a friend. Jesus says, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Simply because Jesus declares that we're his friends, if we do what he commands, does not mean he's looking for reasons to make us enemies. Jesus, on the contrary, says he has given us everything we need to be his friends. And unlike servants or slaves, Jesus says we're his friends. And I thought, look for a way to to go in deep and describe what this means, but I would just be taking another commentator's words, so I just thought I would give you his words. (laughs) 
And the commentator that I was, I was reading from says, an absolute potentate demands obedience in all his subjects. His slaves, however, are simply told what to do, while his friends are informed of his thinking, enjoy his confidence, and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's, of their master's hearts. You know, I wonder, I think many, many well-meaning Christians, where they might go wrong is they devalue Jesus into just this older big brother with good advice and great suggestions. Jesus says, yes, I'm your big brother, and you best believe I have good advice, and if you do what I command, you're my friend. And if you're uncomfortable, if I'm uncomfortable with calling Jesus Master, Lord, Sovereign, know that Jesus says it starts with this desire of He wanting to be your friend. Because there are many Masters, rulers, people who wanted to be called Lord and Sovereign throughout history that did not desire to be friends with their subjects. They did not even know their subjects. Contrary, look at what the Master Lord Jesus says in verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Let me give you an illustration that I think is going to help here. When I graduated high school, I had narrowed down my options to what colleges and universities I wanted to go to three schools. I know I wanted to be a pastor, and then there was Northwest Nazarene University in, in Nampa, but they were asking for lots and lots and lots and lots of money. They still are. One option could have been to take my core classes from Lewis Park State College and then try to finish my degree at Northwest Nazarene University. Well, another option I was considering was literally moving to Colorado Springs and attend Nazarene Bible College, which is there. But for money reasons, I decided to attend Nazarene Bible College online. It was a good option. There was no moving, less money. Had my friends around, and probably the best thing of all is I could do my classes in my PJs. <laughs> and I often did. Well, in the time of Jesus and the disciples, there wasn't so much universities and colleges and such, but there were the options that people could decide who their rabbi or their teacher was. You could go and be taught by a Pharisee like Gamaliel, in which St. Paul was taught by. You could be taught by maybe John the Baptist, which I don't know why he was this hairy, weird guy out in the wilderness, but if you wanted to. But what people would do was find their preferred teacher and sit under their teaching and follow that person. Well, Jesus did something that nobody ever usually does. That is, is he hand-selected his students. This would be like before I made any decisions about my university, suppose Western Seminary out of Portland calls me up and says, hey, you have a full-right scholarship, we want you in our classes. I didn't do anything. Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Did you know, first of all, this might hurt a little bit, but you'll get over it. <laughs> did you know that God does not need you? But better yet, he wants you. He chooses you. I wonder if that settles with you. <laughs> did you know that God would have been perfectly righteous and blameless after Adam and Eve to just say, well, 
quite literally, to hell with the world. He could have been quite blameless and righteous to never send a Savior. I wonder if it settles that God took on flesh, came to earth, lived blameless, died innocently, suffered brutally, and be tortured shamelessly for your sin and my sin. I wonder if it settles that he didn't do this out of obligation. Not because he needs us. And by the world standards, it's very unfair. But Jesus chooses us because he loves us. Because he wants us to be his friends. And he says about his choosing us and appointing us, he appoints us for that we should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. I want to tell you about what I consider to be a very big misunderstanding of the Christian faith. That misunderstanding is a very key word, and that misunderstanding is that Jesus saves us from hell. I say that's a misunderstanding, not a myth or a lie, but a misunderstanding, because what is more true is that Jesus saves us from ourselves. Your life as a Christian and your biggest goal in accepting Jesus is not to be saved from hell. The question to the non-believer should really not be, do you want to be saved? It should be, do you want your life to change? Because Jesus did not appoint his apostles to go out and hand train tickets to heaven. He tells them to go and bear fruit. To baptize people, to teach them everything that he has taught them. To ultimately go and produce life, and produce life abundantly. Let me put it in a metaphor. Suppose you had this horrific disease. And if some of you have a horrific disease, I'm not picking on you. This is just an illustration. But it had horrible symptoms. I don't know. Take your pick. Constant stomach ache, unceasing headaches and migraines, always nauseous. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, and also, it's terminal. <laughs> and you were going to... And you were going to die and with a horrible headache and a backache one, one day. It was just going to do you in. But you go to the doctor. The doctor says, you know, I have a miracle pill, a magical pill, but it does only one thing. It takes away that terminal part. Now you'll die of natural causes unrelated to this disease that you have. You would think that's a pretty bad deal. Because <laughs> you still have constant stomach aches, headaches, migraines, and nausea. You would think it really didn't fix your disease at all. It just prolonged it. Jesus did not die on the cross so you can retain this disease of sin. Jesus did not die on the cross so you can spend 70 to 100 years now sinning and having a license and, you know, oh, I'm going to get better after I die. Jesus died on the cross to save you from this disease right now and invite others into this life. That's why it's good news. I think it would be bad news if we said, hey, we have magical pills for your diseases. I think this is where I, myself, sometimes I need to graduate my thinking of a worldly man-made Jesus to who Jesus says he really is. So this is why it drives me bonkers when you have people who call themselves saying, oh, you'll always be this way, you were born with this sin, you can't change it, just take a sigh of relief and be cool with it. To me, that offers no hope. And most importantly, that is not what Jesus says he's here for. Jesus says there is hope. 
Jesus says you can die to your sin and you can be raised again to live a new life free from the captivity and the vicious cycle of sin. You see what I mean? Jesus, I don't think it's just this chubby cute baby or poor dead guy on the cross who just came to give you a ticket to ride to heaven. True Jesus is a guy who wants in your life right now. Not later. He wants to be Lord over your life, not just Savior who saves you from sin. Or excuse me, saves you from eternal death. <laughs> Jesus, as he says, wants to be your friend. He wants to let you in on what he's doing. He just doesn't want you to be a servant who does what he says. Oh, he wants me to say the sinner's prayer. Okay, now he wants me to go to church. Oh, what's next, Master Foreman? What do I do next? Jesus wants... You to say, what do I do about the sin in my life right now, brother? Tell me, what are you doing? What is our week going to look like? Where are you at work, Jesus? I want to be involved. Jesus wants a deeper relationship than just routine and ritual, he being foreman, we being zombie. <laughs> look at what Jesus says next. The remainder of verse 16. He says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, even though it looks like it, I, I really don't think you could disagree with me, but I don't think Jesus is talking about wish granting. <laughs> He's talking about prayer. He says, whatever you ask for the Father, that's praying, talking to the Father. In the name of Jesus, God may give it to you. Now, I don't know. You might think that praying in the name of Jesus is like dialing 1208. <laughs> you, get, you, know, you get into heaven. If you say those magical words, suddenly you're talking to Jesus, but... If you don't do those numbers, Jesus is completely lost as to what you're saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I'm thinking that if he says, let me just give you another illustration. Suppose you walk up to Christy and ask, hey, does Kevin like sauerkraut? Christy's going to say, no, Kevin does not like sauerkraut. Why? Because she knows me and I don't like sauerkraut. I can't speak for Christy if she likes it or not, but we're not talking about Christy. At that point, we're talking about Kevin. Similarly, if you pray in the name of Jesus, that means your mind is aligning up with what Jesus wants. Your heart is lining up with what Jesus wants. That's what happens whenever you pray in his name. Let me just do a little regroup here. First of all, Jesus says we're his friends. If he does, we do what he commands. Second of all, we're his friends because we're on board with his mission. He lets us in on what's happening. Thirdly, Jesus says he chose us. And I added that he didn't need us. He chose us to bear fruit, to pray, to live in his name. And he says here in verse 17, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. These things. Everything Jesus has been teaching up to this point. Things like bearing fruit, things like being friends who obey Jesus adamantly, or going back further in chapter 15, things like laying down one life for one another. And Jesus says he commands these things. Why? So that we'll be good little Christians and do as we're told. Or no, maybe it's to impress people. Or maybe we'll be cookie-cutter Christians. Maybe it's to win people's affections, run for government, and change the world. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus says it's a love thing. We are his friends if... We do what he commands, and he commands these things so that we will love one another. But Jesus is about to change the conversation a little. 
And I believe he's doing it to respond to a reality that's going to come up in our lives. The reality is, is what if we do what Jesus commands and we're hated for it? This is where you need to remember that true Jesus, because again, there's worldly Jesus, cute chubby baby, sits in silence, never whines, which would be amazing, and then cleanly wrapped up, sitting on a 30-something white woman in Middle East Israel, who, though she's poor, seems to have really good-looking clothes. And then there is worldly Jesus, who has lambs hanging over his shoulders constantly, talks about love a lot, don't hear me wrong, Jesus does talk about love a lot. But then there's worldly Jesus who just hugs people, never gets loud or angry, can't spell the word hell, let alone would he believe in it. But, what about the Jesus that we've been reading about? The Jesus who said earlier in chapter 15, you either produce fruit or not, and the unproductive branches are tossed into the fire. What about the Jesus who says, you are my friend, if you do what I command? Which, if the case... Which, in case the point isn't clear, he might be saying, you are not my friends if you disobey my commands. What about that Jesus? Maybe it doesn't take too long to wonder if that kind of Jesus might come across a little offensive. Which is why Jesus says what he says next. He says, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus says that the world hates him. The interesting thing about this word world, cosmos, in the Bible it really often means, more often than not, just talking about the whole sinful order. Uh, not any one particular government, but just something that is hostile to God, the collection of people. And I want you to see what God thinks about the world. He says that the world hates Jesus, but this word world is also the same word used in a verse that you might know, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he would send his only son to die. And about that world that God loves and sends his son to die for, that world hates Jesus. Does the world hate Jesus? The world as we know it? What about chubby baby Jesus? He looks so good on the Christmas cards. There he is. What about Jesus with lambs on his shoulders? He would be very good on the farm. You could go find sheep that are lost for you. There's a book out, I've mentioned it from time to time, called Daylight Jesus, But Not the Church. And the premise was this, a bunch of authors went out and interviewed people, and oftentimes when you ask that person what they thought about Jesus, those people would say that they really, really liked Jesus. They thought he was a great teacher, that he did love people, he helped the poor, he was just this great saint of a man. But when it came time, they asked the people what they thought about church. Well, church was just judgmental, overbearing, domineering, blah, blah, blah. And so this book was all about how churches need to be more gracious, they need to tone down calling out sin, maybe they need to approach people better, blah, blah, blah. As you can see, I really love the book. That was sarcasm. <laughs> I haven't actually read the whole thing, but actually I went through a study with it with a few other people, like a DVD curriculum, because I watch movies better than I read books. But I think the authors may have been forgetting something very true and very important. I wonder if these people who were interviewed and supposedly like Jesus really know Jesus. Because the more I talk to people about things that Jesus said, the more people realize that it really isn't the church who demands too much. It really isn't the church who asks for repentance too much, who calls sin out, because it's really Jesus who calls sin out. 
Don't hear me wrong. There is something that we can learn from not being too legalistic. Churches are made of sinners. It's bound to happen. But many people do not like even being told that they've sinned. Even Jesus said to the adulterer, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I believe we're we're starting to live in a world that says, I really want Jesus to say, I don't condemn you, and I never will. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And I want you to see this in context, too, because Jesus has just said, love one another, obey my teachings, bear much fruit. And then he says, and if the world hates you, wait a minute, why would the world hate people who, who love each other, bear fruit, and obey the teachings of Jesus? Because Jesus comes to the world to say that it needs saving. And Jesus tells us elsewhere that the world first hated him, verse chapter 7, verse 7, quote, it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So if we are to follow Jesus and be obedient to him, are we to testify against the world so that more people might come to Jesus? I'm just going to play dumb here and say I still don't get it. Christians... I shouldn't say that because some of you may not get it. That's not what I mean. (laughs) Bad Kevin. Christians are to be loving, to obey Jesus, to bear fruit. And simply because Christians might tell the world, hey, we love you. We want to let you know about Jesus. We want to let you know that the way you do things are evil. Shouldn't the world be grateful? Ladies, have you ever tried to give men directions? (laughs) I know a faster way. You're lost. That goes over really well. You should try it sometime. I wonder if you ever told a fat person, hey, you're overweight. You should probably diet. Obesity is just bad for you. Well, that goes over very well, too. Maybe you should tell an alcoholic they have a drinking problem. Maybe you should tell a person smoking cigarettes, hey, you're another cigarette closer to lung cancer. Let me give you a ribbon. The point being is that our world is a world of rebels. Look at what Jesus says in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I believe Jesus has just, you know, put this into perspective now. He says, here's here's what's happening. God made a world, and what did he say? He said it was good. God made people, said that they were good. Well, what happened? Humanity sinned, entered into rebellion, Now we're in a world of rebellion. What Jesus does is he comes to earth and he invites us into restoration back into the kingdom. And if he is the master and we are his friends, that means we are leaving the world of rebellion and we're going back into the kingdom. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God. I was looking for an illustration that would be helpful, and this is the only one I have, and I know that there's a lot of hardcore patriots in here, so don't take this the wrong way, but in a worldly sense, what did the 1776 Americans do to loyalists who were loyal to the British kingdom? (laughs) They killed them, ran them out of town, because suddenly, within this world of rebels in America, here were these loyalists, people who said, you know, I want to align with Britain in this war because we're part of their kingdom. Similarly, you and I should be loyal to the crown of Jesus. And what we've done is said to the world of rebellion, I admit I'm wrong, 
I'm in a rebellion against our true king. I want to be aligned with that true king again. So it's like we're British loyalists in the 13 colonies. Now, don't get hung up on that illustration. I'm not talking about the moral rights or wrongs that happened 200 years ago, people. But one commentator says this, former rebels who have, by the grace of the king, been won back to the loving allegiance of the rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. I wonder if following Jesus ever looks like this to you. You follow him and it feels like the more closely you try to follow him, the more animosity that you run into. The more you take Jesus at his word, the more people grow a little more frustrated with you. Because if you take Jesus at his word, it might make life different in the world. This world of rebels. See, the world's ways aren't God's ways. I want to say another particular problem is the world's view of Jesus is not the right view of Jesus. And let me tell you, some of the people, myself included, who have sometimes the most wrong view of Jesus are people like me who say, I know Jesus the best. The Jews thought that they knew the Messiah, but as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, Luke gives us an episode where he weeps over Jerusalem and he says, if only you knew the time of the visitation of the Messiah. She did it. A little bit more frighteningly, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everybody who says, Jesus is my Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The point is this, is we can put up a church and write Jesus all over it. On the walls, the pews. And say that we preach Jesus, but if we don't preach what he commands, then we're not preaching the true Jesus. That word true, again, by definition, means the real deal, the genuine article. God made us in his image, but people try to make Jesus in their image. As we head into Advent season this year, we head into a time where we celebrate, commemorate the birth of our Lord Jesus, Savior and Christ. And I have to ask you again, what, who does Jesus look like to you? Could this be a year where you don't let the images and stories and people's clever witty sayings of who Jesus is control your mind and who this boy who came to earth in fragile flesh? Instead, as you search the scriptures, maybe let the word of God fill you in on who is in that manger, just who grows up, who proclaims to be God in the flesh, and just who you and I are to be friends of. But I also want to say this too. My personal view of Jesus in different times in my own life has changed. But I know that as I study deeper and more thoroughly this book right here, and as I let the Word of God shape my true view of Jesus and who He is, what He stands for, what He says, what He does, I don't know about you, but I just grow more and more in love with Him. There are times when, as I pray, the truth might conflict with what I believe, but in those times, it's time for me to say, I need to change my beliefs then. 
I need to conform with the truth. The Bible doesn't need to conform with my views. <laughs> this is why Jesus says in John 15:20, he says, Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So you catch that? A servant is not greater than his master. In other words, we don't get to look throughout the scriptures and say, Oh, that doesn't, doesn't settle well with me. And a lot of people I know also disagree with that. So I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out or twist it a little. We don't get to do that. Similarly, I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit doesn't look into my life and say, Well, you know, Kevin, that doesn't settle with me, so I'm just going to ignore it. No. It says, That doesn't settle well with me, Kevin, so I'm going to call you out and ask you to repent. You and I, in order to be true friends of Jesus, we need to be true friends to the true Jesus. Verse 20, again, he says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But this is where I find hope. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. This last verse I find hope because Jesus has just said, If you follow me truly and are hated, bear in mind they hated me first. But note... That Jesus is not saying, following me is following me to a place where nobody loves you. No, instead he said, there are also people who keep my word and they will keep yours. See, I wonder if you think church and Christianity is all about converting everyone possible to Jesus, that you might forget that Jesus was not able to convince everyone himself. In fact, Jesus' greatest opposers kill him. Jesus was never able to convince Judas to follow him completely. Jesus was never able to convince the high priest that he was the Messiah. And still today, the followers of Jesus sometimes have a hard time of convincing some people that Jesus is the real deal. And that what Jesus says goes. You can take lots of disappointment in that, but you can also find lots of hope. That there are people out there who desperately need to hear this truth. And when they do, they will be saved. They will accept it. They will respond, and they will be led into the arms of a loving Savior. That doesn't mean you can't pray for everybody. I think it means you definitely need to be praying for everybody. Lord, show me where those opportunities are. I want to leave you with an illustration, particularly because I haven't talked about coffee yet. If you want to be true friends of a true Jesus, I think you need to like Jesus how I like strong coffee. Here's what I mean. Have you ever had really watered-down coffee? And some of you are like, yeah, so I always take it. But for those of you who aren't big coffee fans, that's what you like. You like your creamer and your sugar with a hint of coffee. But there are people out there who, I don't know, I think all they do is just take their fingers and pinch a few grounds and put it in the filter. And then they put ten cups of water through it. And they call it coffee. Me being a coffee snob, I spit it out because I can tell when my coffee is watered down. So what do I do? I get mean and nasty and I remake the coffee and say, ta-da, there's real coffee. Five scoops of coffee for six scoops of water. Amen. Amen. What happens? The people who just want flavored water, they spit that out and they say, ah, that's too strong. This is what people do when they say that they love Jesus and what they do with Jesus. I think they just take a pinch of Jesus. Oh, here's all the love and grace parts of Jesus, and they'll water them down and say, you can sin like it's Mardi Gras every day, because Jesus loves you. And when you or I might come along and show them the real thing, they'll say, oh, that Jesus is just too strong. Get him out of here. Lucky for you coffee haters, Jesus isn't calling you to drink coffee. 
But Jesus wants to be the real thing in your life, especially when he comes on too strong. He wants to be the real thing. Even if you're persecuted, even if you're slapped on the wrist and you're called names like, oh, you're not merciful like Jesus, you're not loving like Jesus, even whenever they take Jesus and use him against you, Jesus wants to be the real thing in your life. And if you and I want to be true friends, we've got to follow the real, true Jesus and be witnesses and friends of true Jesus in this world. And here's the biggest reason why, because only the true Jesus has the power to redeem, has the power to bring hope, has the power to bring redemption, has the power to save people from their sins today and forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words about yourself, that you didn't come here and not reveal yourself. Instead, you came here and you said, you're my friends. I want you on the mission. I want you to see everything that I see as the Father has revealed to me. Father, I just want to follow that Jesus. I want to follow the Jesus that you delivered to me and not the Jesus that the world wants me to follow. Father, especially when it's hard and whenever we're hated, you bring us comfort saying, the world's hated me too. Well, Father, you bring us hope and say that there are people out there that if they follow my words, they will follow the words of those who follow a true Jesus, the true Jesus. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us, especially in this time of the year where we're crammed with differing ideas of what Christmas is about, that you would allow us to remind others, oh, here's, here's the Jesus that we're celebrating his birthday. Here's, here's why we celebrate him. So, Father, I just pray that you would be with us. <clears throat> Be with us as we leave. Be with us on the roads. Father, you know each and every situation, whether it be emotional, physical, spiritual. Father, whatever the situation may be, we ask that you would continue to be at work, and we know that you are. We love you, and we ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, in whom we love and love to follow. Amen.